Welcome back to the Bees and Honey podcast. Today on episode three, we'll discuss the art of collecting and you will hear the ever interesting Alain Servet describe his philosophy behind his collection. Alain never disappoints. He's a wealth of knowledge and he loves to share it. And I appreciate his generosity in giving back, not only to artists through acquiring their work, but also in giving back his experiences and his thoughts on art to those who love art. A quick reminder that this was recorded before I came up with my idea of having monthly themes. So you may hear me refer to this as episode 7 or something like that, but it's not episode 7, it's episode 3. It's part of the Art and Technology Month, and Mr. Survey has an awe-inspiring collection of contemporary art, of which a good part is technology-based. Hi, today we're on episode seven, Building an Art Collection, and we speak again with Alain Servet, who spoke so profusely and knowledgeably about art fairs in episode three. Thanks for taking the time to join us again, Alain. Um, Belgium has historically been a big art collecting hub. Can you tell us a bit about your personal story of collecting and how your particular style of collecting developed? Um, hello, Nicolette. Thank you for taking me on um, again. Um, <clears throat> Belgium is an interesting point, uh, particularly because um, I believe that to be a, a good collector of contemporary art, you must be able to to think outside of the box. Um, to um, and I often say to my friends in France or the UK that. The, the big advantage that we have vis-à-vis -vis French and um, and British is that we don't have the British Museum, neither Le Louvre, and it allows us, to, without that background to which um, you automatically refer, instinctively refer, um, you it's easier to open yourself up to 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 the new, something new, something different, um, and this new and different is uh, often the thing that is worth um, uh, preserving. Um, it is a little bit in this context that um, I started um, collecting myself. I was attracted by um, what other people view of the world were, uh, what perception they were, and the way they were able to take me out of my own box uh, in many ways. So I have no background um, in the family um, collecting uh, not at all. I have no um, artistry in my curriculum. Um, I've been studying my career in uh, finance in Wall Street in 1987, but I was um, directly attracted to uh, to museum for a quite unknown reason from that point of view. And uh, I realized that um, art allowed me to project myself in other pe people's life, and it's um, it's something that um, was expanding my horizon very much. And that, that's how I started uh, collecting. Yeah, I think it's interesting what you said in the earlier episode about uh, seeing the vision of other people or seeing uh, the world through the eyes of those who are marginalized or minorities. I, I don't know if those were the exact words you used, but something like that. Um, so you're noted as a collector who does not collect paintings or at least oil on canvas, and you don't sell from your collection as well. First, tell us why no paintings, and then maybe you can tell us what happens with the art and if it goes up in value and if it goes down in 
monetary value? What do you do with all that art that you're collecting? But first, why no paintings? Um, when one thing that you understand pretty quickly when you observe um, in a kind of a anthropologic way the art market and the art world, um, it is that it is in fact um, not, nothing more and nothing less than a microcosm of a broader society. Um, it seems to be a bubble, but it's functioned the same way in many ways with the same trends. One of the strong trends that we see appearing more and more, um, uh, particularly in the political world, uh, across the world, across the globe, um, in fact, is that we, we're still in the, um, in the midst of a, of a class struggle um, between the, um, the wealthy and um, the less um, endowed. Um, the art world is, is the same and is living, in fact, on a contradiction. You have artists which are normally um, not coming from the, um, the wealthiest class and, and that most of the time those artists have got the idea of um, questioning, um, at least questioning if not um, um, trying to transform or, or to modify the status quo, um, the situation, the society as it is uh, right now. And to do that, um, they need to um, count um, for their survival on that same um, upper class um, that is, in fact, um, the, the defendant, um, the protector of that status quo. So it is always something um, that's, that struck me when you speak to artists. Of course, their point of view is nothing to do with uh, the one that um, I see in my um, social um, uh, circle. 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 Mm -hmm. uh, yes, my social circle. So what appears then is that um, for a, a reason I cannot explain myself is that in that upper class, um, any trace of painting on the canvas is considered art without questioning, whatever it is. Um, good, bad, accidental, uh, done by an elephant, a child of five, five years old. It is art. <laughs> When, as Barbara Kruger said it, um, uh, she has to justify every time that what she's doing on her plastic um, 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 canvas uh, is, in fact, uh, art. The same with installation, uh, France West or other, other uh, major artists now recognize they have continuously during their life to justify that they are producing art. Mm. Um, and therefore, as we have... Um, uh, a side with, with the money um, and the other side, which is um, dependent on it, um, is, is very often dictating the demands because the demand is dictating what the offer will be. Um, which means that um, because the demand is, is very fo focused on, on uh, painting, um, many artists have to conform and uh, to give what the market wants. Um, and whether their, their intention is um, sincere and they really want to express anything. Um, my opinion is that I feel more comfortable in preserving because for me, collecting is about preserving, um, mm -hmm. uh, preserving arts that I consider important for the next generation. So mm -hmm. I prefer to preserve the art that a few people are looking at, uh, which is what is non-painting. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's a vast area. Uh, because it in, involves paintings, installation, uh, sorry, it involves uh, sculptures, installation, photography, digital arts, 
um, uh, videos. Um, it is an extremely large field, and I can tell you um, we are not numerous in that field, which means that um, I have a lot of work to try to preserve important works. So it was very easy for me to set aside uh, painting. It doesn't mean that I hate painting. Um, painting is very sexy, is very seductive, is very attractive. But uh, collecting is definitely an exercise in, in restraints, in um, going further, um, in resisting your instincts um, or your immediate desire. We could compare it sometimes, I compare it sometimes to some kind of yoga or Buddhism, um, um, is uh, to detach yourself <laughs> from your, your instincts. No, no, I'm, I'm not mm -hmm. kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a it's a question of um, of of not uh, succumbing to that um, that seduction and going for maybe more demanding art. Um, but as you know, in life, um, something which requests more efforts is sometimes something that is um, giving you more reward as well. That's true. Well, you talk about preserving the collection for the future. It's a little bit like discussing writing out your will, but. Can you say what plans you have in mind for preserving the collection or do you want to save that for later as a surprise? I, I didn't say I wanted to preserve the collection. I have no intention mm -hmm. of preserving the collection. I, I said oh, okay. I wanted to preserve, I want to preserve the art, which means that okay. while this art is in my custody, uh, mm -hmm. I have the responsibility to maintain it. Um, mm -hmm. For the future, either my children uh, will, will show interest in, um, in this collection which is not the mm -hmm. case. Uh, either the last <laughs> now, thing, now, now, they maybe don't now, show interest now. But they're, but maybe they're already twenty-one. They're, they're already twenty-one and twenty-three. So at the moment, mm -hmm. they, they don't have interest. If the lack of interest continues, um, mm -hmm. then I will um, uh, pass this art to um, to other people that are interested in in preserving it. Um, mm -hmm. And there's probably a large part, like in every collection, that will find no other way to um, leave my house than to um, to stand on the sidewalk. Uh, and, <laughs> and I would recommend I would recommend people that uh, the day that it will be announced that they they hang around my place. <laughs> I'll be there for sure. <laughs> so right mm -hmm. now you're in Jakarta. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your trip in terms of the art that you've seen at the fair there and outside of the fair, because I know you said you might do some studio visits. Yeah, we already, um, we're five days in uh, Jakarta and we already done something like uh, 16 studio visits, um, which is uh, not bad. <sighs> oh my God, exhausting. <laughs> The idea is, um, I've got to, to go back a few years, um, and, and you're, you are New York based, um, you're, you're working in, in, in the U.S. and, um, and I used to go to the U.S. Um, I've been collecting for about 23 years. Um, at that time, mm -hmm. nobody cared about, about the investment value of art uh, at all. Uh, I was speaking mm -hmm. to another collector today, 18 years old, he said when we were starting, at the time, nobody thought about even recovering the money because there was absolutely no no market, no secondary market, no nothing, which means mm -hmm. that you were acquiring the work and, and not even thinking about what to do with it um, afterwards. Um, mm -hmm. It changed dramatically, of course. Um, and I used to go to the U.S. Um, a lot, about four times a year. Mm -hmm. But I, I realized that, as usual, um, the, the U USA is going faster, higher, bigger. Um, and that infection of the arts um, seen in the art world by the by money, 
has been more um, extensive in the U.S. than anything else. So, um, which means that I, I talked about the relationship between demand and offer, and mm -hmm. um, the demand requests a certain amount of things, and it's very clear, um, very often, that I see artists providing what the market wants. As you know, um, Yale MFA is yeah. very well known for teaching to the students how to sell themselves before they explain them what to um, what kind of art to or what kind of message to um, to extend with it. And for me, right. art is still um, is still about um, DID. Uh, it's about um, defending an idea, opening a question, challenging mm -hmm. a status quo. Um, this is what it's about. Um, so before putting himself in front of um, whatever in his studio, um, it is important for the artist to have an ID rather than trying to produce a product, uh, an art product. So about right. six or seven years ago, I, I canceled my um, trip to the Armory Show uh, after having uh, visited Los Angeles which was the worst of the worst um, <laughs> of, uh, of, um, of the, the lack of purpose of the arts. I mean, um, you have those um, residencies uh, financed by collectors, fa fake collectors, because in fact, uh, it's more like sweatshops um, because they, oh they get money. They're getting, yes. it's true. They're getting artists uh, to come to a residency, but they have to produce works. And then those works will be shown in a final exhibition that mm -hmm. will be sold. And the, 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 the revenues will be shared between the pseudo collectors and, uh, and the artist. Um, which I um, oh my God. So, I never thought of it like that, but you're right. It's a truth, you know it. Uh, many yeah, of those other residencies um, are doing that kind of things, and the artists, uh, the collectors, has got um, the 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 courage of calling this um, philanthropy in some way. Right. Uh, support. Right. Anyway, that's, uh, so that's another story. But I decided after that trip to LA to cancel my trip to um, to. Um, Jamori, and it's um, now I'm going to the U.S. once per year, um, mainly to visit the museums because you have amazing museums, particularly in New York, uh, with ex extraordinary shows. So I traveled to New York, um, but then I reoriented um, my interest in art to countries where there's no art market. Um, and because there's no art market, if you want to be an artist in this country, it's not because you intend to become rich is because you have something to express yeah. um, and this um, desire this um, uh, urge to um, to express something is what i'm looking for so this is why we are um, investigating the um, indonesian art scene and it's um, it's um, it's a good surprise uh, this fantastic artist um, extremely smart um, and sophisticated um, and um, very affordable as well, but making a difference as well because acquiring their works is something that makes a, a huge difference for them. Yes, yes, absolutely. And you said uh, when you started collecting, you and your friends would um, go around and not think about reselling the art. Uh, what your friends collect influence your choices as well and vice versa? Um, like, there, like, do you a have a discussion with them? So, sorry? Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I didn't understand what, what your second part No, I part was basically it. saying, like, you guys just basically have a discussion sometimes, like, I saw this, I saw that, and then 
do you then maybe follow up on something that your friend discusses or that you discuss with them and then they follow up no, with the you, artist? You don't have that herd instinct of, of the United States again uh, because <laughs> you're asking this question because, no, but let's be honest, Nicolette, again, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. the, characteristic, the characteristic of, a, of an American collector is everyone's, everyone wants to have the same trophy, the same artist. Uh, so it's extremely boring most of the time to visit American collection because they're all exactly the same. Uh, what I appreciate um, in any other part of the world is that even someone like me uh, seeing a lot of art over the, over the, over the whole year um, mm -hmm. still don't know suddenly one third, if not one half of the collection. This is what I like, is uh, right. discovering things and seeing someone that is not following the market um, mm -hmm. uh, advised by uh, standard, standard making art advisors, um, which are always recommending the same thing that is supposedly we rise in price. Um, yeah. um, and um, so that's what is interesting. So, of course, we're exchanging, we, we sometimes giving um, uh, recommendations or, or talking about what we like. Um, mm -hmm. but nobody cares about following it or not. And also if someone follows, it's very good. I don't feel offended by it. Uh, some people mm -hmm. don't like that some, that their friends buy the same thing as they do. So it's, uh, it's more a sharing and, and let's, let's, um, remember that, um, art is nothing else than sharing. Um, it's sharing ideas, sharing experiences, um, and we were eating today mm -hmm. at the table at that collector, 80 years old collector in Jakarta, um, eating um, a lot of things that we had absolutely no clue what it was. Um, so <laughs> this was a really good experience. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and you must be able to do it uh, because I'm sorry to say, but there are many people um, that um, don't want to, again, step outside of their usual path. Yeah, their um, comfort zone. I think I mm -hmm. think that one of the questions you're going to touch a little bit later, but I'll, I'll anticipate it, is um, mm -hmm. what recommendation I, I would um, make to um, to emerging collectors is is um, to look at themselves in the mirror and ask themselves if um, let's say that their usual uniform is a suit, uh, whether they would be comfortable in going down their um, apartments um, in in um, Central Park or, or, or Park Avenue and get out in, um, in, um, in a training or, um, or shorts or a Birkenstock mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. look yourself in the mirror and look, look mm -hmm. at how that you're able to go out of your comfort zone, whether you are um, able to, um, to let the handrail go, uh, or whether you need to someone to hold your hands for whatever you do. Right. Um, right. And this is, if you are able to do that, um, then you have a chance of, of reaching something in contemporary art. If not, uh, you will just be another speculator uh, accumulating um, socially recognizable uh, trophies um, for um, nothing else than vanity. Um, and but, perhaps um, eventual profit. Yes, uh, but honestly... Um, before getting to make money out of art, you need to be right at the first category, which means that um, you need to go outside of the box. Because if you're following, you will never get anywhere, not more there than in Wall Street. If you follow the trends, which is what That's people true. most most people do, you mm -hmm. know, if you if you buy um, 
Apple at nine hundred dollars, uh, you will not get uh, do a lot of money, and you've got a good chance of of losing quite a lot. Correct. All right. Well, um, the next topic sort of bears away from art into technology, and now we see both of them coming together a lot. Can you tell us a bit about this in relation to your collection, uh, tech art or art involving technology? I know yeah. you have a few works as like I, that. As I started collecting without any preconception, with the, without any um, anything in my DNA, you know, I was always observing. I was studying a lot um, when I started. And um, one observation that came to me pretty quickly is that um, across all art history, uh, let's say the last uh, 150 years, all the art that is um, that's um, stand that stood um, the test of time was meeting two conditions. Um, first of all, he was talking or referring or um, being representative of deep changes that were happen happening in the social, economical, political field of the time. Uh, it's I just illustrate by this by what I mean by taking a very a stupid example is like the impressionist. Um, the impressionist would not have existed um, if they were not happening um, at the same time as the industrial revolution. Before the industrial revolution, the, the society was extremely stiff and uh, organized. Um, um, it, there was the nobility, the, the church. Um, you, you needed to own a lot of lands. Um, and the rest of the people were mostly some kind of traders or, or, or workmen, um, uh, very marginal. And suddenly the industrial revolution made that uh, someone without land was becoming much richer than someone uh, with a lot of lands. Um, this really turned society upside down. And at the same time in the academy, because the academy was ruling how you were painting or creating arts, uh, how the size of the man, the size of the woman, the, the perspective, and so on and so on. And mm -hmm. this um, turning upside down extended to the arts. Um, and of course, um, it gave um, slowly um, uh, rise to, um, to the impressionist of the fact, yes, people give the impression and not, are not following the canons that were defined by the um, academy. And then so much so that they had to, to show themselves in the Salon des Refusés on the Salon of the Refused uh, at the time because they were refused by the Academy. Mm -hmm. At the same time, they were also uh, benefiting from technological revolution because the Impressionists could not have painted from real life outdoor um, if they didn't have paint in, um, in tube. Uh, it was also something that was developed at the time, and before that, you had to pay in to to work in your to paint in your studio, uh, because you had a very complicated process of of making creating the paint from um, from pigments and different uh, oil and different mixes, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, but that were drying pretty quickly. So um, that te stupid technological revolution uh, made a difference. So yeah. um first thing is that you you have to to fit the um, uh, the society in which you are and we can repeat that over all, over time I mean it's very fascinating to see how surrealism spread out around Europe with the with the translation of um of the theory of dreams of Freud it's mm. amazing to uh, to see how um uh the dadaist um 
reacted to the, the butchery that the First World War was by 1917 saying, okay, we thought the, the humans were wise, uh, but we see they are not. So why should art be wise? Um, why can't we do anything we want, as, to, as stupid as it is? Um, the same with, um, with the pop art, which was a reaction to, um, to the, con the development of the consumption society, and so on, and so on, and so on. So first condition is, is you must be related to the society to which you are developing. The second is that very often um, art must be disruptive, uh, meaning that it is not appreciated at the time it is created. People don't understand it. Um, and it's fascinating. I remember an exhibition I saw in Paris with the, the accounting of uh, one of the major dealers at the time. And it was funny to compare how a stupid lake uh, with, a, with um, a little boat on it with a sunset was selling for 1,000 times the price of a Gauguin at the time uh, <laughs> because nobody wanted the Gauguin, uh, but mm -hmm. everybody wanted uh, the, this very comfortable uh, mm -hmm. um, landscape um, that was absolutely, uh, that in fact um, was totally forgotten by art history. So yes. I applied the same uh, principle. I said, okay, now let's try to consider the year 2000. Uh, what will we remember of the year 2000 in 2200? Um, and it appeared to me very, very clearly that the, the technological revolution, um, computer, uh, internet, internet 1.0, internet 2.0, um, was a, something that will mark history forever. So I consider mm. that if I could find uh, artists that were creating art, which is not doing tricky works like gadgets, like a team lab, for example. Um, um, but they were really uh, creating something new, something that we see sometimes um, uh, at the new museum, for example, in New York. Then I thought it was worth um, uh, preserving it. And again, it was interesting because it was also meeting the second um, condition. Because I remember when I, I bought a work by Sibren Verstig, it's one of the first work I bought. Tibran uh, Verstek, who I was very happy to see um, at the Whitney Museum in the permanent collection now. Yes. Um, this artist, um, at the time, I left uh, carrying um, uh, a portable uh, computer. And it was quite a shock for me to say, okay, this is a work of art. <laughs> so <laughs> at the time, absolutely no one considered that this was art, which then was meeting the condition of, of the Gauguin. So I said, okay, um, digital art and, and, um, and in all its different form is meeting those important characteristics. Um, they are reflecting a very strong development in, in the social economical context, but mm -hmm. they are also um, neglected by the majority of the people. So I said, let's go for it. And I've been a very intense and very happy collector of digital <laughs> arts. Yes, and I mean, the whole blockchain and crypto uh, hype that's been happening in the world as well is translated into some artists uh, using those as uh, medium or tools in their art. Uh, do you have any of those artists? No, they, no one is using blockchain really with this. Um, you know, you're confusing a little bit um, because you, you're looking at too much painting, but um, no. you... Um, you know, there are digital art on one side, and then people are trying to use blockchain to, uh, to introduce some kind of, um, 
technological hype uh, because blockchain worked well for um, Bitcoin. So they think that they can um, replicate that. This is what I see as well a lot in um, because I, I, you know, I'm an investment banker and an investor as well, um, mm -hmm. uh, venture capitalist. And I, mm -hmm. I get proposals of uh, startups um, twice a month. And um, the big mistake that I see arriving uh, often is that people try to repeat um, something that succeeded um, in other fields like music or movies or, and they say, okay, why not apply it to arts? Uh, but this is, this is very often very different. So uh, they're trying to apply Bitcoin to arts, but the problem is that art is, art, the art market is thriving on opacity. So right, there's right. no real desire to have to give that transparency. So it's not the technology that will bring the transparency. It is a, a true change of mentality uh, that needs to come from the market rather than being imposed by an outside technology. So I, right. the blockchain is the kind of word that is giving me um, uh, the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> well, my friend who had that exhibition in Zurich, I know it was closed the day you went by. But he had these uh, artists who call themselves uh, crypto punks. He's selling these things which are basically made out of some sort of uh, cryptocurrency. And then there's this artist called Primavera de Filippi who created a mm -hmm. plantoid that lives on the blockchain. Basically, you feed it with these um, either, either Ethereum or Bitcoin or something else I think it eats. And then she creates other plantoids from the... Mm -hmm money that she gets anyways we'll talk about that another time um yep. the next question i had was uh the art fair versus the biennial i know you said one of your um artists who you started collecting early he's now in the whitney collection so obviously they're getting into this stuff too uh how does the biennial influence what you then are able to purchase when you see those same artists at fairs and is this non-commercial setting somehow better for you to think about art and instead of the pressure of buying it in an art fair? Yeah, it's not really in that sense. Uh, it's not the non-commercial pressure because today in too often um, and in a unfortunately untransparent way, um, museums and biennials are often extension of the galleries. Um, so we have to be careful when we see it's non-commercial. Um, but what is true is that I am, um, my hunting ground, my favorite hunting ground are biennials and museums. Um, why? Um, because clearly, um, if you're looking at the best work of an artist, mm -hmm. uh, every artist will definitely tell you that, um, he will give the best work he can to um, to a uh, Whitney Biennial or any Biennial that he will show up or any group show or solo shows that he will do. Second right. is that you're going to be working with um, what we can expect to be um, good professionals, the, the curators, the artistic director of the museum in question. They are, those are mm -hmm. professionals that have been uh, chosen among the best um, because there are a lot of candidates and few chosen um, to 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 be curators of those major museums and biennials. Mm -hmm. So they are uh, playing an important role of um, of selecting um, 
uh, and I, I still count on it. You know, so I'm, I'm doing studio visits, but I definitely uh, recognize the importance of um, good curators um, and the job they do. Uh, sometimes they do a better job than others. We can always criticize their choices, which is always the case um, in any <laughs> biennial. Um, or, yes. or thing. But I would just draw your attention that um, report of art fairs are always about money and selling, and nobody's ever saying, oh, this was a good art fair for the quality of the art that was shown. <laughs> right, never right, 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 very um, few. So sometimes I'm, I'm saying to, um, to people, because I'm sometimes sorry to say, oh, people, oh, the, the Venice Biennale was not good this year. But I said, sorry, man, it was still 10 times better than any art fair you're going to go to. So, <laughs> right, um, right, right. So don't be too harsh and don't be discouraged um, not to visit the the, the, the biennial. And I keep saying the, the Venice Biennial this year is an excellent one. And I, it's still open mm -hmm. until November 22nd. Yeah. And I, I keep repeating on my Twitter account that um, I would, without any doubt, sacrifice two art fairs to do one week at the, um, at the Venice Biennial. And it will save you a lot of money. So yes. but let's go back to... What I was saying. First of all, uh, very often you're going to find the best work of uh, of the artist. Um, second, you have already the the pre-selection of, of um, very good professionals um, uh, who are the creators. Mm -hmm. Third, uh, is that we must remember what art fairs are. Art fairs are mostly um, an easy um, way of uh, shopping for art. Uh, in many ways, I would compare it to the shopping mall that um, started developing in the 1970s as a, as a competitor to uh, sing, single uh, shops. Uh, people found that um, going to a shopping mall, having 40 different um, uh, opportunity of shopping, plus the food in the middle, um, plus it's a nice entertaining um, uh, time. <laughs> If, if I describe everything I just described, it definitely looks like an art fair. And it's not um, sexy at all. <laughs> but, but it is a fact, again, uh, yeah. a simple observation. So, but also, um, as you are aware, um, the public, um, that's sometimes for a very good reason, because, you know, they're very, very big professionals or, or young, young businessmen that, um, or businesswoman, um, who are having young family and so on. So they don't have the time sometimes to go around galleries um, in depth. So it's a, it's a time-saving opportunity to, to go to the art fair. But this time-saving opened them up uh, much more than anything else to impulse buying. Ah, and that's true. Same way as, the same way as you know that um, um, the chocolates and the, um, the mint and um, all kind of stuff are put close to the, the checkout. <laughs> Um, and also the entice, level of, yeah. To entice impulse buying. Uh, the same way, the art which is brought to art fairs is mostly impulse art, which means easy to chew, um, uh, but uh, definitely because we cannot be asking for a demanding art because people don't have the time to go in depth. So yeah. I would say that, mo I mean, most of serious collectors consider that the art which is shown in art fairs is of much lesser quality uh, than even what is shown in the gallery. So 
um, if you ask anyone going around the art world, you would say, where do you see art in the best condition? Um, is the first will be in the museum or the biennial, the second, the gallery, and the third would be the art fair. And everybody will agree on that. So um, the, the third thing that um, the, the museum is giving is context, is that the, mm -hmm. the work is put in the right context and its strength or weakness are appearing much more clearly than they would appear in a kind of a mashup um, on a on a booth where uh, where the galleries wants to bring a little bit of yellow, a little bit of blue, a little bit of red, that it pleases everyone. Taking it down the trend in the sofa colors those days, so um, oh it's just um, it's just the way the way it is. So if I have yeah. to make a choice, um, I will rather buy the works that the artist uh, gave the best of himself selected by the best curators, put in the right context to understand it. Um, and the, the, the fantastic fourth advantage is that there's little competition because they're all um, rat racing against each other at the fair. Yeah. So um, I'm going there and they're all uh, packed um, and rubbing their shoulders um, and elbows in the art fair. So I find it more comf much more comfortable to... Um, to um, treasure hunts um, on those places. Yes. Well, thank you again for sharing uh, all your ideas and all your experiences and all your advice. Um, enjoy the rest of your time um, in Jakarta and hopefully I'll see you again sometime soon. And a bit of provocation, of course, because it's, this is the, the characteristic of good arts. It's something which is um, making you think. So I'm just hoping yes. that I, I'm making you uh, with humor also, um, even if it can appear to be a little bit arrogant, but um, with a bit of humor and provocation to, um, to take yourself and your listeners uh, outside of their comfort zone. Thank you very much. Absolutely. For... Okay, enjoy the rest of the evening and we'll talk soon. Bye. I hope you loved this episode as much as I did and I look forward to sharing my interview with Georg back next week on episode 4 of the Bees and Honey podcast. Georg will explain a lot of the terms around art and technology as well as give us some ideas about the future of art authentication. See you next week on the Bees and Honey podcast. Thank you for joining me.